Tech, we like brothers, the yellows. You didn't jump, you've been practicing all week. <laughs> Won't you stretch your hand and let's pray for Quentin this morning. Father, we thank you for Zip. We thank you, Lord, for the gift that he is to this body. And Lord, we know that you have placed a message on his heart this morning. We come and we open our hearts to hear. We open our ears to listen. And we pray, Father, that your word would minister to us deep into our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 The mic on, yes. I always wanted to look like a yellow canary up here. Just don't ask me to sing, please. That's all. (laughs) Just such a privilege. I love, I love preaching. I love God's word. I love His presence. I love Him. And just to say thanks to Stephen. He's away. For those of you who don't know, he has an opportunity to preach the gospel down the south coast. And in the church that have been asking him to come for a while. So we, uh, let's pray for him right now. Lord, we just thank you for Stephen Jan. Right now, thank you for the power of your spirit at work in him. That you would assist him to bring boldly, proclaim boldly, as a herald would, the gospel of the good news. We thank you for the multiplying you're doing in his heart. We thank you for the gospel that goes for, forward. And we thank you for them and the gift they are to us this morning. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Okay, the, my uh, topic this morning is giving under grace. Or maybe I could have called it, maybe I could have entitled my message, Do New Testament Believers, do New Testament believers Have to Tithe? Now, I, I deliberately wrote that like that. Do New Testament Believers Have to Tithe? Think about that. Think about it. I love uh, the way Joseph Prince answered that question, but before I answer it, I want you to think about it a little bit more, and I'm going to have a sip of water. Amen. Okay. Do New Testament believers have to tithe? This is how he answered it. Does a husband have to kiss his wife? <laughs> Not after pizza. You are a sharp cookie, eh? <laughs> Does a husband have to kiss his wife? Now, if we understand some of the ramifications of what I'm saying there, you're going to probably understand my approach to the whole subject of giving and tithing in particular. I think, first and foremost, we have to start at the very beginning. Not a bad place to start. And I would say at the very beginning we have to ask this question. Whose is it anyway? You can put that on the board now. I'm keeping my headings very simple. Whose is it anyway? This is the question that we start with. To which I promptly answer, everything belongs to Him. And that's borne out by the Scripture over and over again. And in particular in Psalm chapter 24 and verse 1, and the scripture says this, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And I think this is so important that we understand right up front that it all belongs to Him. 
such an important place to start. The only place to start, really. And so, everything we have, He's given us. He's given us the responsibility to steward what He gives us and also enjoy what He gives us. I'm not here... Um, you, you may notice I don't have cut marks on my arm. I'm not, an, I'm not ascetic. I'm not, I'm not going to beat myself up. God has provided for us, given everything for us, to steward and to enjoy. And so let me just illustrate. I, I think I need to probably clearly illustrate the, the point that everything belongs to Him. So, this, here goes my illustration. Imagine <coughs> I invite uh, Sherwin and Anne for dinner. And in my possession, I have a thousand rand. And we have dinner, we enjoy fellowship around the Lord, we encourage one another. And just before it goes, I go to my little closet or my safe, and out of the thousand rand, I take 900 rand and I give it to Sherwin, which means I've kept the 100 rand for myself, if you like. Now tell me, do you think Sherwin's going to be upset with me that I gave him 900 rand and not a thousand rand? Why not? <laughs> no, let's imagine he knows. There he is, open on the table. Good, good, good one. There's a thousand bucks there. It's clearly there for him to see. And I peel off nine of the ten hundred rand notes and I give him nine hundred. Is he going to be upset with me? Why? Because it all belongs to me anyway. What he got, he recognizes as a bonus. It never belonged to him in the first place. always belonged to me. So we need to get that whole thing of ownership sorted in our minds. It all belongs to the Lord. And when we get that established in our hearts, giving is easy. <laughs> it really is. It's got to be done in faith. And there is an element of sacrifice. We've got to feel it, I think. Worship without sacrifice, well, I think it's self-adoration, quite frankly. But anyway, that's a totally different subject. Now, interesting. On the subject of ownership, um, I did a little Google the other day and said, I wonder who the 10 wealthiest football players are coming here, highest paid footballers. And so there's one guy, he's a Brazilian chap, he's a Christian. And so his name, he's right up there in the big earners. And so I was interested to read what the, the, the uh, press had written about him. The guy's name is Kaka, and yes, that is a name. He plays for Real Madrid and for Brazil. And he's a believer. This is what the press wrote about him. You have a sip of water. It's so heavy, I better have a sip of water. This is what they say. These are not Christian people writing this. He said, they say this. He may belong to Jesus, but Kaka's money is all his own. Except, that is, when you donate huge chunk, chunks of it to deserving causes. The Brazilian has never opted to fully capitalize on his marketing potential, but earns great money for doing the thing he does best, playing football. The world's ex most expensive player for almost a week. He's still firmly among its highest paid. What I want to draw out of that is that this is a common perspective. Everything, they say, he may belong to Jesus, they say, but the money is all his own. And, and interesting enough, you can see in that little text that he's a Christian because they recognize he gives huge chunks away, chunks away and, they, and he's probably recognized. If it wasn't for my footballing skills, who would Kaka be? Nobody. 
Yeah, okay. <laughs> Who would Ronaldo be? Oh. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Christian. Cristiano Ronaldo is coming. Anyway, let me move on. Let me move on. Let me move on. Let me move on. So, um, everything we have belongs to Him. Everything. And I think... You can imagine the temptation for a man. That, this guy earns, without any endorsements, he earns, call it $25 million a year. I mean, it's not the, he, I mean, forgetting endorsements, I know he's got an endorsement for Nike and all those kind of, forget that, that's how much he earns. So I think the temptation must be huge for them to start loving the gift more than the giver of the gift. One of the heart issues of giving, and this is one I erase quickly to and make quickly, the point quickly. One of the hard issues of giving is that we, that, that we understand everything we have is His for our enjoyment. But the minute God never intended for us to love this stuff more than Him, it's clear throughout Scripture. Love the Lord your God with all your might, with all your strength, with all your heart, with all your substance. With, you can carry on and on and on. So right at the heart of it is that we recognize through giving that we are fickle and that these things vie for our affections. Jesus said that, be careful friends, you cannot serve two masters. You either love one and hate the other. He's talking about money. And so there's a very clear warning in Scripture. And so one of the, the fundamentals we want to talk about right up front is a heart issue of being able to recognize that everything we have is from God and that when we return to Him and give to Him, we dismantling that sacredness that money wants to deceive us with. It wants us to love it. It wants us to worship it. And I'm sure it's difficult, from the richest to the poorest, to love the things more than God. And so, giving is our antidote. As a broad, broad principle, this is very, very important in our understanding of giving. Okay. Now, to the specifics. And my question, do New Testament believers tithe or do we tithe under grace? And I'm going to take a systematic approach. There's so many, there are lots of scriptures, but to take any one of them is difficult. To, to, to do an expository on them and to, you know, a lot of guys teach from Malachi and oh, it's difficult because it's Old Testament and they're applying Old Testament principles in a New Testament context. It's wrong, friends. To put fear on people, we, there is no longer a curse. Jesus became a curse for us. He, everyone that hangs on a cross, on a tree, it says in Galatians 3 and verse 13, is a curse. And He became a curse to curse the law. And we are no long, longer under the law. We are no longer under the law. The curse of the law. Jesus has dealt with it. We need to understand that. And I'm way off my notes, but it's okay. Because I'm trusting the Lord to get out what needs to go out. Now, so we, I'm taking a systematic approach, looking at the, a real systematic approach. And I want to say to you, Please, you must trust me when I say I have read. I don't have the time to unpack details. And my te my, it's such a temptation going into every little nitty-gritty detail of it all. I've weighed up the teachers that say there's no such thing as New Testament tithing. I've weighed up the teachers who put heavy things on people and say you're robbing God and putting heavies on people. I've weighed it up. Please trust me. And I'm doing my best with a serious understanding that I have a responsibility here to teach you accurately from God's Word. That doesn't mean what I teach you is going to be 100%. It's certainly going to be closer. 
I'm going to be true to Scripture. That's what I'm saying. Okay, we're doing a taking a systematic approach. Let's firstly then look at where the tithe first is mentioned in the Bible. And I would probably conclude that that's where it was established in the Bible. And if we can turn to Genesis chapter 14, verse 17, reading through to verse 20. I never know whether I should put my glasses on or off because... I can read my notes with my glasses off, but I can't see your faces so clearly. So I trust you all smiling out there and all awake. Good. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay. Reading from verse 17, Genesis chapter 4. Come up on the board there. You can read there as well. After Abraham returned from defeating Chedorlaomer, Loma, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God's most high creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. This is just an incredible picture. Let me just give you a little bit of the context there. Lot, who's Abram's nephew, is hanging out on the edges of Sodom with his tent facing there. That's another sermon for another day. And uh, the, these kings under Cheddar Cheese, or whatever his name is, they come together. No, his name was Chedorloma. They come together with all, a whole lot of the kings in the area and they plunder Sodom and with Sodom they take Lot and all his possessions and lay hold of them. So Abraham gets to hear of this and he says, no man, I must go rescue Lot and get his possessions back and he gathers for himself 318 homegrown men. And he goes against these armies. There must be thousands. We're talking thousands of men under these various kings that have come, come together in allies, in, as an ally. And what does he do? With God's enabling, he whips them, takes all of the possessions, not only Lot's possessions back, but all the possessions that they'd stolen from Sodom. And so there he is in this beautiful picture of Jesus, the type of Jesus, when Melchizedek comes to him just after this battle that we've just read in the valley and says he has bread in one hand and wine in the other hand, or wine in the one hand and bread in the other hand. What a beautiful picture of the Lord's Supper to come. And Jesus, a perfect type of Melchizedek, comes and, 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 and confronts Abraham, blesses Abraham. And there's, this is, please, friends, this is such an important principle. There's a, uh, there's a thing called the law of first mention. When we first read something in the Bible, this is the first mention of tithing. We've got to believe that there are some very important patterns that we learn from this first encounter. And so there is Melchizedek, a beautiful type of Jesus with wine and bread in his hands, clearly foreshadowing the Lord's Supper to come and Jesus' death, sacrificial death and uh, love for us. And, so, and he blesses Abram. That's what's so important. And I think what, the, the principle I want to draw out of there, the pattern that we need to see. See, Abram didn't go to the Lord before this battle with 318 thinking, whoa, 318 homegrown boys, thousands of them, 
God help me, I'm going to give you a tenth. I need to provoke your anger and get you into action. I'm going to give you a tenth of everything I have. Please help me, God. Here I am. Take tenth of the tenth of everything I have so that I might be victorious in this battle. That's not the pattern. God defeats, rots his enemies on his behalf. Then Abraham, out of the absolute astonishment, sees Melchizedek and spontaneously responds. The point is, he responds to the goodness of God by saying, I'm going to give you a tenth. It is not the other way around. Giving is a response always. This is the pattern throughout the scripture. Giving is a response always to the goodness of God. God initiates goodness we respond. God gives us everything. We respond by returning to Him. Oh, uh, a tenth if we want to stick to the tithe. But, sorry, I, I don't know if I'm, tell me if I need to stand away from that. or Is that head in my, noise in my head bothering you? <laughs> what do I do? Am I doing something wrong? Should I not ignore it? Thank you. There's an important, so there's a very, very important um, pattern here. God initiates, uh, Abraham responds. Now, Abraham, it's important, also this, so what's so important in the context of what I'm teaching this morning, is that we begin to recognize that Abraham is the Christian prototype. He's the first, he's the first, uh, He's the first believer that God gives righteousness to through faith. Um, Paul clearly states this in, in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 8, that the gospel came to Abraham in advance. So these are his credentials. We can look at him as an example in the New Testament. Because this is way, 430 years in fact, before the law was ever, ever given. And not, not only is Abraham uh, the one who the gospel comes to in advance, I would suggest, as R.T. Kendall says, that Abraham is Paul's exhibit A in Romans chapter 4. If it wasn't for Abraham, I don't know what Paul would have done. He's defending, he's saying that justification comes through faith and faith alone. And then he says, look at Abraham. Before the law, he believed God and righteousness was credited to him. Before the law, friends. So, He's Paul's exhibit A, and I would suggest even when it comes to New Testament tithing, he, is, he remains our exhibit A because he is before the law, an example to us all. And so we need to also recognize that he is our prototype. He's the first. He comes before the law. There's something else I was going to say about Abraham. It slips my mind right now. So I'm going to move right along to Jacob um, and say that Jacob was Abraham's grandson and there is a sense in which when we recognize that Jacob tithes, thank you James, thank you. Oh, that was simple, bro. I could have done that. I'll just pull them all out. Uh, yeah, so we're moving along. Abraham, so we see there's, uh, then Jacob comes along with his, uh, Abraham's grandson, still before the law. And I would suggest that what we learn out of Jacob's tithing is that there is a continuation. Now some people say, well, yeah, Abraham tithed once and it was on the spoils of war. 
Well, can you imagine if Genesis 15 said, came to the end of it, and Abraham tithe, end of, 15, uh, end of 16, and Abraham tithe, and end of 17, and Abraham tithe. Well, these, some of these things we've got to just understand. I mean, it's getting a little pedantic. Uh, we, 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 we believe that he tithe, he, he, he established the tithe, he's our Christian prototype. Not only that, Jacob continues to tithe, and um, he has this incredible dream uh, in Bethel, and he sees, and God in this dream appears to him and promises to be with him and give him a great land and many descendants. You can read about that in Genesis chapter 28 and verse 13 to 15. But the, 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 let me read the scripture in particular where, Abra, where Jacob declares his um, willingness to tithe and also some principle we draw out of that. Verse 22 of uh, Genesis chapter 28, after this dream, this is what Jacob says, and of, and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Of all that you will give me, I will give you a tenth. Can you see the principle and the pattern there? All that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Everything we have, God has already given to us. It's not like we, you know, it's given to Him. And so He recognized everything He has as is at God's disposal. This is confirming what I'm saying over and over and over again. And then we jump quickly. In terms of looking at a, a systematic approach where Abraham first uh, introduces or establishes the tithe and Jacob before the law, and then comes the law. And the law, in the law, in Leviticus we can read about that, chapter 27 and Deuteron Deuteronomy chapter 14. I don't want to get in, I could, you know, we can go into all the detail of this stuff, but I don't have time to do that, and that's not the point I'm making. I'm just taking a big survey of how we, a history of tithing, if you like. And so, Abraham tithed, Jacob tithed before the law, and then Moses came, and the tithe was confirmed in the law, and it was required of Israel that they tithe. And you might say that, why would God confirm something that isn't righteous or so in a sense the fact that it's recognized and confirmed in the law maybe just a confirmation of a righteousness that already is giving back to god out of everything he's given us giving it back to him that's the broad principle if we get caught up with the little nitty-gritties we can lose what the bible's saying about it so i don't need to say any more than that except clearly that we are no longer under the law jesus came and fulfilled the law and i must say this that he in, enabled for him to fulfill the law, became a perfect tither. Friends, whether you give another cent or never give another cent, your salvation will never depend on it because Jesus fulfilled the law absolutely and died in our place as our substitution, becoming for us our righteousness. Jesus died for you. He became a perfect tither so that if you never, never tithe ever again in your life or never give another cent in your life, you still will be saved. But my goodness, what a pathetic creature you will be. What would you understand? What kind of grace is that? Freely we receive, freely we hold back. Freely we receive, stubbornly we hold back. Freely we receive, the Bible says, freely we give. Can you see the flow of grace? It comes to us and it flows out of us. And the sooner, my friends, we realize this by faith, 
Man, it just takes our Christian walk to a whole new dimension and adventure. This is an adventure in God. It's about faith. It's about being on the edge and risking stuff because we can always know that He's good. We can always know that He's faithful. We can always know that He is trustworthy. Amen. That also wasn't in my notes, but that's okay. There's lots of stuff in here. We've just got to control it. Okay. What does the New Testament say about tithing? Now, this is where I have to be ruthlessly honest. Well, because let's just be true to... I never want to get to a place where I see a scripture. Mmm, doesn't quite fit my theology. Bang, 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 bang. It fits. No. I'm never going to do that, friends. Trust me. I can't do it. I can't do it. There's a responsibility on those who teach in the church. It's a serious responsibility. I'm being true to God's Word. So, what does the New Testament say about tithing? Well, just about diddly squat. <laughs> Hang on. Let me, I must be very careful what I say there. Thank you. Jeez, do I look that thirsty, Russell? <laughs> that yellow shirt, my friend. So it's all the running I'm doing in this Bafana shirt, yeah. Okay, let, let's get to the New Testament. Uh, uh, let me say that there, there two, uh, Jesus refers to, to, to tithing in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 23 and Luke 18 verse 9 to 14. And um, pretty much <laughs> he's nailing legalistic abuses more than anything else. But he's nailing the Pharisees in that first account in Matthew 23, 23 where it says, uh, let me read it, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done without ne- neglecting the others. So, there's a, it, it kind of, in a roundabout way, Jesus acknowledges that tithing, it, it's almost an affirmation through the back door. He doesn't nail them for tithing. He nails them for neglecting the weightier issues of the law. And I think what he's after in the Pharisees, as in the next account, in Luke chapter 18 and 9 verse 14, there's this Pharisee going up and he's with a tax collector. Pharisee sinner. Oh, look at me. I fast three times a day. I tithe on everything I get. And Jesus says, man, you can be a tither and do it legalistically and mechanically, but if your heart hasn't been given to me, forget it. He's not after what He's given you to steward. He's after your heart. And if you want to know if your heart is for Him, you will know that you are able to give freely to Him. That's how it goes. He wants us, friends, not what He's already... Do you think God needs my possessions or yours? When God, the Creator of everything, created everything we see out of nothing. And so, the New Testament is fairly quiet on the subject and... But then I must say, some people want to say, well, therefore there's no more tithing in the New Testament. I'd say, well, it doesn't, it doesn't negate tithing. Jesus seems to affirm it through the back door. Um, it's not a negating of tithing. It's, I don't think so. The other, other, only other place where tithing is mentioned is in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 4 to, uh, 4 to 12, where, where it gives an account of what we just spoke about, where Abraham encounters Melchizedek, and out of, out, of, uh, out of this awesome response to God's goodness, he says, take a tenth of what I have. And uh, prove, mostly that text in uh, Hebrews chapter 7, is to prove that Jesus 
not only is Melk or is like Melchizedek, he, the Bible says he, Jesus is the, uh, his priesthood is in the order of Melchizedek. He's greater than Melchizedek. That's what he's saying. Some, uh, it's a tricky one. I'm not sure if Jesus literally was Melchizedek, but certainly Jesus' priesthood, Jesus' priesthood is way, way, way superior to the Levitical priesthood. That's the context. Way superior to the Levitical context. Uh, Levitical system or priesthood which was under the law, Jesus' priesthood is way higher. He doesn't have to go every year. He comes, sacrifices himself once for all, and it's taken care of. And so uh, that's the other mention of of, uh, tithing in Hebrews chapter 7. I just just want to draw out something that I heard Joseph Prince saying, and I I thought it was quite good. And I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 7, verse 5. Just, Just something that I saw there, illustrating how vastly superior Jesus' priesthood or giving to Melchizedek, if you, if you like, is to that of the Levitical system. It's kind of taking two systems, the New Testament or the grace system where Jesus is the high priest and the Levitical system where Levi is the priest. And so let's look at it quickly. Um, Hebrews chapter 7 verse 5. Now the law requires the descendants of Levi who became priests to collect a tenth from the people. That is, their brothers, even though their brothers are descended from Abraham. And then verse 6 says this, This man, talking about Melchizedek, however, did not trace his descendant from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham, and, these are important words, blessed him who had the promises. Melchizedek, Blessed Abraham who had the promises. When you read about the Levites tithing, there's no such thing as blessing there. So we've, we're, we're, we're children of, Adam, of Abraham, children of Adam as well. Children of Abraham that we are seed, Abraham's seed. And so just this wonderful contrast of Levitical uh, law giving and grace giving, if you like, under Jesus. Wonderful picture. I might have stretched it a bit far there, but I think it's, it's valid. Next point. And so, let me say this. I'm coming to a conclusion. But before I do that, another sip of water, please. I come to this conclusion that the the tithe continues to belong to God. But it belongs to Him not in a way that He's a debt collector and a thug. It's going to break your legs if you don't bring it to Him. No, no, friends, we need serious detoxing when it comes to the subject of giving and tithing. Serious. So, the tithe belongs to God, not out of fear, not out of fear of condemnation, not out of some crazy evangelist manipulating us. None of that. The tithe belongs to God in the way that worship and glory belong to Him. The tithe belongs to God in the way that glory and worship belong to Him. And I'd like to illustrate that. Please, Lord, I would have a word of wisdom this morning and I would see by the, through the eyes of the Spirit that there is a lady here or someone here with cancer but they're very obvious growths. And we come here and some of the elders come with me and we pray. I lay my hands on this woman and before all our eyes, these growths literally fall off onto the carpet and disappear. And this lady jumps this high and we all have no doubt that God has done a miracle. And then we come to church next Sunday and 
the musicians who put all the words up were so taken by what happened on Sunday, they changed all the words of the song. And instead of singing, Oh Jesus, Thou great Redeemer, they start singing, Oh Zip, Thou great Healer, Thou great Omnipotent Divine One. Well, how would you guys feel about that? I know how I'd feel. Oh man, I'd, 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 I'd fall here and I'd start trembling because worship belongs to Him. Glory belongs to Him. doesn't belong to me or you or any one of us here. The tithe belongs to God. I believe that. If you want to box with me, we're going to get, I'm going to flesh out what I, what I mean. You, I'm not, no one wants to box with me. Why should I say that? But, <laughs> no, it's, it's what I believe. I've worked it through and, and, and I think it's coming from that place where we understand everything we have is His. So to give return, it's not done religiously. I, I, I probably don't need to go into that too much. But anyway, I believe the tithe belongs to God, continues to belong to Him, even in the New Testament, uh, as much as worship and glory belong to Him. Now, if, if some of you have a problem with me being rigid about 10%, you know what? I'm probably going to agree with you. Because the New Testament doesn't... It's not, doesn't, doesn't uh, we're going to look at what Paul says. It doesn't deny... It doesn't say don't give 10%, but it clearly also doesn't say you must give 10%. And this whole story of must be 10% is also a little bit silly. And so, I think scripturally, if you said to me, this rigid 10% thing is not a New Testament idea, and I, I would agree with you 100%. As I say, my heart is to be true to scripture. But, you know what's so sad about that? You, I've heard the most elaborate theologies and arguments and when you boil them down to the most basic elements and you ask the man face to face, do you tithe or do you give? And they get red in their faces and they don't know where to look. Then you know, friends, that they are playing into a very dangerous game where the, le- the devil would want us to freely give, stubbornly withhold. And this is a serious thing, friends. I'm not putting a heavy on you, but if that is the case, man, I'm going to argue from the New Testament. I'm going to take Paul's principles. And if you can't see generosity there, I mean, think about Jesus. I think, I think the New Testament, let me read what John Piper says. In answering this question, why the New Testament is so quiet about tithing, this is what he says. I have a growing conviction why this is the case, why the Bible, the New Testament is so quiet about it. I have a growing conviction why this is the case. I think God took the focus of giving a tithe in the early church because He wants His people to ask themselves a new question. The question that Jesus drives us to ask again and again is not how much should I give, but rather how much should I keep. Think about Cristiano Ronaldo. He earns 200,000 pounds a week. That's two million pounds a week. Now in the light of that, if we're going to get religious and dogmatic about 10%, can you imagine? That's two million, that's eight million rand, rant. Eight million buckaroos, rant a month he earns. We haven't even spoken about his, his uh, endorsements. And now he comes into the church and becomes a believer and we say, you must give 10%. That means he gives 200,000 rand uh, a week and lives on 1,8 million. Or, or, or he gives... Uh, 
<laughs> David, help me with the figures. Uh, $7.2 million he lives on and gives 800000 Is that Was it right, David? Yeah, 10%. Yes, I can think on my feet sometimes. I've just got the splitting headache, but that's okay. Devil, the devil, the devil. This is the message you need to hear, friends. And so, if we may, I would suggest if Ronaldo, and let's pray for these guys, please, that, that he would join my friend Kaka. And become a believer. Uh, if he became a Christian and we were rigid, hey boy, 10%. What kind of a lifestyle is he going to live? Don't you think that there's room for him to give 50% and still live a lavish lifestyle? Or even 60%? The question, Jesus, so if you're arguing, oh, tithing is Old Testament, blah, blah, and then you say, but how much do you give, friend? And then you, you, you're going to run short of answers for me because the New Testament is big on giving. Jesus said, hey, you've got one shirt, give one away. That's 50%. He said to the rich young ruler, hey, go give everything away. That's 100%. Oh, friends, this is it. He wants our hearts, so please do not. He doesn't want what we can give him. He's already got. He wants our hearts. This is what he wants. This is what he's after. Okay. Time. Ooh, I, I must move along. So, This, I would agree with anybody who says 10%, this rigid, hard and fast religious rule in the New Testament, I agree with you 100%. But I hasten to add that generosity is hugely, hugely encouraged. And I, I want to look at what Paul says and get a little bit of a perspective. Not once does Paul say, yes, you must tithe. Not once does he ever say, no, you mustn't tithe. But he has very clear principles for us to follow and a very nice grid for us to uh, look through when we come to the New Testament and namely uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. Now I want to say, just to go back to that pattern that I spoke to you about in Abraham, where Abraham didn't go to God and try and coerce him to say, hey God, if, you, if you're going to be for me, I'm going to give you up front a deposit so that you can club my enemies. No, no, God first clubs his enemies, and then he says, you are so good, I'm going to give you every, a tenth of everything you give me. That's the pattern, friends. Okay, we're going to see the same pattern in Paul. And I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 7. But just, now, New Testament giving. Okay, strip the word one-tenth religiously out of that, because it's not saying that. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, this is important, he's not commanding them, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love comparing it by comparing it with the earnestness of others. There is something there, he's not commanding them, but if you sincerely love the Lord, you will know that he has given you everything and it will be easy to give back to him sacrificially. And then the last verse, and this is where it all hinges on, Everything Paul talks about giving hinges on this verse, I would say. In verse 9 it says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, so that you through His poverty might become rich. Now, I want you to see the pattern there. We didn't go to God and try and coerce Him to do stuff for us, and then we, we give up front. No. He first gives his first fruits 
We heard in, in Colossians, the firstborn. He give, Father, Father gives His first fruits in a sense, the Son, Jesus. And when we receive Him, when we understand He left heaven, paradise, no problems, takes on flesh, has to deal with all the temptation and ultimately is crucified and dies for us. He becomes poor for us. He takes on flesh. That's what that scripture is saying. I think you can apply it to money as well, but you'd be very short-sighted to have such a narrow definition. It's not about physical richness, money richness. It's about every kind of richness that Jesus became poor so that we might be rich. It's about every kind of richness that Jesus became poor so that we can have His righteousness. And so do you see the pattern? First the Father gives the Son. And everything Paul teaches after that hinges on that. And what does he say? I'm going to sum up quickly what he says. A summary of, of Paul's teaching. He says, this is like you can read 8 to 9, but it starts with that. That Father, Father first, Jesus first comes and becomes poor for us. And out of that we recognize. Same pattern as Abraham. Wow, how good are you, Lord? How good are you? And you give back to him. It's not, it's not out of compulsion or guilt or, 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 or mechanical. It's out of sheer love. Sheer, sheer love and adoration and worship. Okay, let's Paul. What does Paul say? Just a summary. This is uh, in, a, in one sentence. Paul, you can read it for yourself. Paul says, Give as you have decided in your heart, and I would suggest that that's faith. Please, friends, this is one of the most important keys. Giving, tithing in the New Testament, giving generos- generously in the New Testament has to do with us having faith like Abraham when he believed God in his goodness and said, In that case, I can give. Please, don't do it out of some mechanical f- formula. Do it because you believe in the goodness of God. Faith. Decide in your heart through faith. Decide in your heart through faith. And then Paul would go and and main categories, they gave regularly, cheerfully and sacrificially. So decide in your heart through faith what you're going to give. Give regularly, cheerfully and sacrificially. And if you think I'm contradicting myself in terms of the tithe in the New Testament, I'm not. I really am not. And I don't have time to elaborate on that. So... He had no problem saying, when I come around, please prepare for me your offering once a week. I'm coming around to collect it. He had no problem to do that. So regularly once a week, cheerfully, sacrificially, after we've decided in our hearts through faith. My conclusion this morning is this. You'll never outgive God. But you'll never know that until you start to put into practice what I'm talking about. And I'm not putting a heavy on you. I want to encourage you to take this walk of faith, this incredible adventure, and that's the one place the Bible does say, prove God in Malachi. Prove me. I I think maybe another place, but certainly one one of two possible. Prove me. And I want to put that to you as faith in your own way, not with anybody, with anybody putting convictions onto you that aren't yours through faith, I want you to go and prove God in your own way and see what an exciting journey, what an incredible adventure this is. You know, tithing is is not, as R.C. Kendall says, it's a mathematical incredulity, which means the sums don't add up. God gives us everything. We return one-tenth and the nine-tenths that we are left with seem to go further than the ten-tenths. Somehow. I don't know how that works. It's a miracle. Okay? And um, you'll never outgive God. 
Never, never outgive God. I just want to say, I've got two more points, very brief points, and then I'm closing. Uh, it's amazing how good God is. I even said, hey, Lord, help me with an illustration. I want a real fresh, live illustration. Please, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm backing. I need to get this across to people. So I take my friend Billy Brain to the airport, the new airport. It's lovely there. If you've been there. So take him to the airport. We have lunch together. A generous friend of mine, he says, come. We always fight who's whose turn it is. Anyway, that was his turn, he says. It's always his turn, but anyway. Uh, he's bigger than me. So we have lunch together, and so um, now I've got to get out. I say goodbye to him, and I've got to get out, and I go to the, the little machine with a parking ticket, and I've, I've got seven rand in my pocket. And I think, no, no, six bucks. I've only been here, what, 45, well, I don't know how long, 45 minutes. I put the thing in the machine. <laughs> says, you owe me 10 rand. So I say, no problem, I take the ticket out, I run to my car, because in my car, I probably got 20, 30 rands worth of silver in my little cubbyhole there, because I'm used to giving out to all sorts of people. But, so no problem, go to the cubbyhole, open it, and in that instance, I recognize that I also have two teenage daughters. So what do I find in this storehouse of wealth in my car? One rand. So now I've got eight rand. And I go back to the machine and I think I'm still two bucks short. Pride, pride, guilt, pride, humility. I look at all these fancy O's with these suits flying probably overseas and big bucks and I'm thinking, oh, how am I going to ask? He's going to think I'm a beggar or something. <laughs> anyway, when I get back, there's no one else but this humble young man, cleaner. He's a cleaner working around there and I say, oh please, this is embarrassing. But I need two rand to make the ten rand up to to put it in the, in the machine. He says, that's not a problem. He, he's fighting into his pocket. Here it is, take it. And in that minute, I'll say, man, I've got to tell you that God loves you so much. He says, I know that. He says, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. And I want you to know something. That this, my friend, is a seed that I'm giving to you. And I said, my friend, my friend. That's not, we're only halfway. We're only halfway. And I said to my friend, what I want to assure you of this day that you will never, 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 never be able to outgive God. So he says, yeah, that's good. I'm going to live by that. And so I put the 10 rand in, all the little coins, 10 rand. Take my ticket out. What does the machine do? Scops back 4 rand to me. <laughs> I'm not talking huge figures here, but the, the object lesson is there. I take the 4 rand out. I say to this young man, do you see what I've just told you? Here's the object lesson. There's your two rand. Keep it. And here's the two rand. Straight back to you. You'll never outgive God. So, amen. And I conclude with this reading from Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan. There was a man, some called him mad, the more he gave the more he had. Let's pray. Father, you are generous beyond our wildest imagination. I pray that by your Spirit we would go away with our faith built up. Thank you, Spirit of Jesus, Spirit of God, that you would help us detox from all the manipulation, from all the condemnation, from all the, the fear of judgment that man wishes to put, us, put upon us, 
when it comes to the subject of giving and tithing freely to you. We acknowledge everything we have comes from you. Freely we have received it as an act of your omnipotent grace. And freely we want to respond by giving. I pray, Lord, that you would raise our levels of faith to say, I am going to embark on this adventure with you and test you in this. You are faithful beyond our imagination. Thank you for those of us in our midst that struggle here financially. We don't want to discount that and be totally uh, out of touch with the common problems of common man. I pray, Lord, even now that by your Spirit you would do a miracle and begin to open our eyes to your pattern and the way you bless us. And open and thank you that you have opened the heavens, Jesus. And you pour out every kind of blessing upon us. Thank you, Lord, as we participate with you as partners in the gospel. And thank you, Lord, that we are a missionary people. Unlike those in the Old Testament, you have given us the Great Commission. And we want to respond to that by giving to you with all our substance. I thank you. I pray your blessing upon every person here in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for your patience. Please, thank you. Please have coffee with us afterwards. God bless.